uh, I love to uh, pray for myself and pray for you uh, because uh, just before sharing the word of God, I, I wanted to make sure whatever I'm sharing this morning, it comes from God uh, and, and directly to you and that we're ready to receive the word uh, so that God can speak to our hearts, allow us to uh, you know, be fully immersed in his word and his will. And so I love for us to pray for one another this time before we get into the message uh, to really say, God, come to our lives, come to our house, come to uh, our minds and souls. Uh, allow us to be uh, shined upon your name and your face and allow us to really understand uh, what you want us to learn this morning. And pray for me as uh, the, the messenger of God, the, the speaker piece, I guess, uh, uh, that I will speak truthfully uh, according to God's will. So let's take a minute to pray for one another. Father God, we, we know we lack wisdom and uh, we lack strength and ability and even uh, uh, to discern uh, what to do a lot of times. So I do pray that this morning, as we gather in our homes uh, through the technology you have given us, uh, that we can continue to trust in you uh, to know that you are in control in all aspects of our life. And, and, and just we pray that as we celebrate and praise and gather here to listen to your word, that you will speak to us, that the Holy Spirit will fill our hearts and go into our homes and really just in presence uh, that we are able to encounter you this morning, that we are able to see you this morning through your word and just pray that you're with us right now. We thank you. Thank you for your love and say thank you for your spirit. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do have a confession. You know, this has been uh, uh, one of the, the interesting week. You know, I, 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 it's either old age or maybe I'm too busy or uh, not busy at all. Uh, that I've been forgetting things and, and I've been doing things and, and just really struggling to prepare for this Sunday sermon. And uh, I don't know if you ever have this type of experience where you're trying to do something and you just don't feel like doing it. And you just feel like, man, what am I supposed to do? And, and you pray and you think and, and uh, you just say, well, I'm on this mental block on, on what to do and how to proceed. And uh, especially, uh, you know, this Sunday, we're sharing about this message in Revelation, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 1 to 16. And, and I, I titled it The Real Christmas. And I don't know about you, but when I first hear the, the, about the book of Revelation, uh, I think of end times, you know. I think of the, the coming of Christ, you know, to take us, deliver us from this world. And, and it's, it's kind of like an end time thing. But when I think of Christmas, I think of like an origin story, like, you know, something uh, about Jesus being born and having all this great celebration and, and everything else. Uh, but I've been tasked this morning to share with you the Christmas story. As you know, we're doing a series on Revelation uh, during our Advent season, which is to, to look forward to the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ. And you might ask, uh, you know, if this is so difficult and you've never done this before, which I never have done a Christmas story using Revelation, why am I doing this? And, and that's a great question. And, and the, the, the real reason behind why I'm doing Revelation is because we are on a series. And, uh, you know, while I hinted uh, to Pastor Dean that I think Revelation and Christmas don't go together, and he's a dear friend, so I, I just kind of share with him. I say, man, why are we doing Revelations? You know, like, can we do like the typical, you know, Matthew, the gospel, and just talk about Jesus and be done with it? And, and he was very adamant. He says, you know, this is where God is guiding him, right? He wants us to share the perspective uh, from Revelation. 
And, and then I listened to uh, some links and read some stuff that he sent me. And I'm trying to get myself like pumped up for this message. And I just couldn't. And, and so I start asking people to uh, pray for me, uh, help me to understand why, you know, and, and just give me clarity. So I, I spent a lot of time praying and everything. And But the back of my head, you know, as a pastor, as a part of the leadership team, I'm like, is Dean making the right decision of doing Revelation for Christmas? And, and, and sometimes we have that type of situation in our church ministry now life where we, we do question our friend's choice, our leader's choice. And we say, man, why are we doing this? Why, why is it that they're doing it this way? And, um, and I remember as I am preparing and I ask God and, and, and because I just really don't know what to do. And I love Dean and I'm sure he has a reason. And I trust in his spiritual authority. And I say that I need to kind of come to God and say, what is my lesson then? Because if I believe that God has called Pastor Dean to lead the church and to lead me when I serve here in the English ministry, then I need to trust that he understands and he has spent time with God in making decisions. So when I have that mindset, I start to pray for myself and I ask myself and I ask God to give me the wisdom to understand and to submit to the leadership and to really know what it is that I'm supposed to learn. And, and, and the crazy thing about this, that I have to pray and trust that God is sovereign among my doubts, among my chaos of, you know, new uh, orders from the county and the state and all that thing happening with the kids at home. So I had to really find time and, and, and quiet time to meditate, to pray. And I noticed myself in this past week as I was preparing for the sermon, uh, I've been listening to a lot more praise music and, and, and spending a lot more time reading the Bible, just trying to understand what God is trying to teach me and, and, and say to me. And I, I just want to say that that the end result was great. And, and I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but, you know, I, I had a, you know, a fresh perspective on how I can view Christmas uh, from the perspective of Revelation. And, and, and I grew uh, in my faith, in my ministry, um, by learning to trust in God and trust in the leaders and submitting to God's desire and, and, and really just praying for our leader too, you know. And, and, and so uh, I've been trying to do this new thing where I think God has convicted me that part of my sermon has to really be applicable. So, so I asked you this morning, if you have a pen and paper with you, if you don't grab them, and just say that, write down a leader's name, a ministry leader's name, is someone important in your life, and, and that has caused you to really have some questions about his leadership or his decision making. Uh, in my case, it might be just a very simple uh, a passage for the uh, Christmas message and really say, man, why is he doing this? And you might not understand it and write down that name in that situation. And I will invite you this week to really spend time praying for this um, this leader. It could be a pastor, it could be an elder, it could be a small group leader, it could be even your parents. And, and just saying that this person, God has placed in my life to kind of guide me and lead me, but I'm having questions and I'm having issues of understanding why. And, and so God help me write that down, write that situation down and write that name down. And, and hopefully you spend time in the coming week just really praying for this person uh, praying for yourself that God will show you a clarity about why, uh, you know, he's doing all these things and, and give you that submission to say, God, I want to be obedient to you and to your will. And, and, and if by the week's end, you say, well, I really feel like God is calling me to do things differently and I speak up, you know, uh, but uh, I will really encourage you to really pray and, and reflect. And for me, I'm thankful that Pastor Dean has kind of forced me to do this 
a Christmas story using Revelation. I have learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And, and I know I'll continue to kind of push back on some of the things that I believe is right. And he's a great friend. I love him like a brother. And same with Sumiko. They're just awesome. And, and so I just really I look forward to continuing conversation with our leaders and really having that relationship. And so, you know, this Sunday, then the question comes to this. Why am I struggling with the passage? And uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be reading from Revelations chapter 12, verse 1 to 6. And then you will know why I struggle uh, with uh, this, this passage this morning. Okay, allow me to read the Word of God. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please go grab one paper copy. It's super easy to find Revelation. It's literally the last book of the Bible. And if you have the Bible app, you just kind of go to the very end of your, uh, you know, your catalog kind of thing, your uh, table content, and just go to the very end, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 to 6. And uh, you can search online, whatever it is. But I do want to encourage you again, as we're reading the Bible, if you're using a tablet or a phone, uh, make sure that you stay on the Bible app and not wander anywhere else. I, I'm not, I can't see you, but God is watching, so I'm warning you. God is watching. Just be focused, and uh, let's pay attention to the Word of God. And here's Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven uh, diadems. And he, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was cut up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. I don't know about you. I was reading that, and I was like, my first glance was like, that was kind of crazy. There was so much going on. I don't know what's going on. And, and so I had to really study it. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to do it verse by verse and just saying that, what are we supposed to learn? And how does it really relate to Christmas? You know, all this dragon, this woman, this child, and, and, and all these like stars and moon. And what are we to make sense of this revelation story? And how does it relate to the Christmas story? So let's go into verse one. And this is what verse one says, is that a great sign appeared in heaven. And, and so this is the first hint that the story that we're about to read, uh, we're not to read it literally. You know, there are parts of the Bible where we read it as a historical record, the teaching of Jesus. We read it as a literal teaching kind of thing. But in Revelation, uh, sometimes we have to step back and say there are parts of Revelation. We want to read it literally and apply it in our lives. And then there are parts of Revelation where the, the story itself, it's really, uh, you know, symbolic, you know, it's a metaphor, it's an illustration, you know, for us to understand, to understand a point uh, that the author or God is trying to make. And so here it says that a great sign appear in heaven. So we know literally this is not to be taken literally. So it's a symbolic story that we're about to read. And, uh, and I, I love this is that in the Old Testament and, and a lot of times the prophets were uh, the you know the people of God they see visions and and they couldn't understand how they can see things and, and John here is saying that he saw this great vision appear in heaven and he's seeing this and, and so I I like to kind of 
help us to understand that it's really not hard to imagine prophecies through our modern technology. When I read Revelation nowadays, I think of God playing this clip. Maybe it's a hologram. Maybe it's a, a projector that projects into the sky where we're able to see stories played out in front of us in our eyes. And so I imagine when John, what he was doing is he looking up in the heavens and there's this, this great projection of this, this woman, right? And it says this, that, that a woman clothed with the sun. So he sees this, right? And he's seeing this. So it's not a physical thing that he's seeing, but really a, a sign or vision projection that he's seeing. And says that there's this woman clothed with the sun. And the first question we must ask is this, who is this woman? And, and, and so uh, before we guess who it is, uh, we, you know, the Bible always gives us little details and breadcrumbs to help us know and define and just identify the woman. It says this woman was clothed with the sun. And, and, and so a lot of commentators and uh, will say that, that this represents this woman. It's just there's this brightness surrounding her, that there's that radiance with her, that she she is just this um, person that, that we see. And we're like, wow, like she's bright. You know, there's a, this this backlight, you know, like that's just so bright and shining. And, and, and so this presence with her and it says that with the moon under her feet. And we know that the sun and the moon cannot exist at the same time. So, again, this tells us it's a symbolic meaning that that this woman uh, is, is above the moon, like she's being elevated, that she is not just like a regular Joe or a regular Jane, that she is elevated. She has this radiance about her. She's being lifted up so that all can see kind of thing. And, and this is the last clue, and which is a very important clue about who she is. It says that on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And, and most people agree that this woman, by this definition, with a crown of 12 stars, and, and there's a, another 12 in the Bible that we see consistently, which is the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what we're really saying here, the symbolic meaning of this woman is that she represents uh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. And, and so the 12 tribes and, and, and we know the promise from the Old Testament that, you know, uh, they were the chosen people. The Israelites were the chosen people. They were to represent God, to be that beacon of hope and light in, in the Old Testament time. And they were elevated. And, and a lot of people that I know that have worked with, uh, you know, Jewish people, Israelites, and, and people of Israel, um, and, and they, they speak highly of their intelligence and their uh, the ability to do things. And, and so we know they are a special nation. Uh, this is a special nation, and they are a special people. And so here, again, the first introduction God is, uh, John is really introducing us is to this nation of Israel saying that, hey, this is the, the woman who is, uh, you know, radiant, who's special, who's elevated, uh, that all can see and have this crown of glory of the 12 stars. And it goes on, it says, verse 2, that she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pain. And, and, and so, so we have to remember throughout the Old Testament prophecies, uh, whether it was with Abraham, where God says that, that, you know, your descendant will bring blessing to all people, right? And, and those who bless you will be blessed. Or David, that now from his lineage, uh, they will be a king, you know, that will rule forever. Or from Moses, that there will be a Messiah that will, you know, take the people out of their uh, sufferings and persecutions that we know throughout the prophecies and the stories of the Old Testament. There was to come a king or this person uh, that will come out of the nation of Israel to really change the world. And, and of course, we know who that person is, and that's Christ Jesus. And, and he literally changed the world 
Uh, the other day I was talking to my kids and, and we're talking about calendar years and, and how we define anything happened after the birth of Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's such a, a huge deal. It's called, uh, it's, it's a new era, but anything before him, we say it was before Christ. And, and so, so we're kind of making that differentiation. So we knew that the nation of Israel will come out this from the nation of Israel will come out this king. And it says that she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pain and agony of giving birth. And, and this is also true uh, where we can see this is the symbolic or, or illustrating the sufferings of the people of Israel. Uh, where they were persecuted by different kings and destruction of the temple of the people and, and, and you know, just war and, uh, and all these, uh, uh, you know, oppression that they experienced. So, so it's not an easy birth. It's, it's very agonizing. It's very painful. And, and so this was kind of like describing the history of Israel with uh, this imagery, imagery of this woman, you know, in suffering for labor. And then it goes on. Verse three, it says that another sign appeared in heaven. So we need to see, again, this is a projection here. And now there's another projection, right? So, so it's not to be taken literally, okay? It's really to, to show us there is a symbolic meaning behind the story. And it says, behold, a, a great red, dra- a red dragon appeared, right? So, and, and so we read in chapter six, uh, uh, there was a, a red horse and a, with a rider, and not red writer uh, really was symbolic and and can give us a bit of a meaning to why uh, the author give us this color like red dragon why not blue why not black why not yellow why not I don't know green because Asian people have green dragons but it was a red dragon and the reason why because I think it's alluding to um, uh, in chapter six where is the the red horse and the rider brought destruction, take away peace from the world. And so we're giving this foreshadowing that this red dragon is not of a positive presence. And then he is here to cause uh, disruption and and war. And maybe the red uh, represents uh, the bloodshed or or something. But we do know that uh, there is definitely a connection, that there is something negative about the dragon here. And it's just that the dragon has seven heads, 10 horns, and, and diadems, seven diadems. And, and so, so what that means is that diadems are crowns. And, and so, so we know from the Bible, seven is, is supposed to represent this perfect number or fullness of number. And, and so uh, a lot of scholars think this seven heads and seven diadems or seven crowns really uh, is, is telling us that he is full with power. He has ability to do things. And the 10 horns uh, really uh, give us this uh, uh, connection to the Old Testament prophecy from Daniel 7-7, where the beast has uh, 10 horns as well. And the 10 horns represents the 10 kings or kingdoms. And, And so what this is really telling us is that this great red dragon will cause harm to the world, disruption and disruption to the world, and maybe create war, and he has power, and he has influence to the king. The ten horns is the, the influence to the king that he can uh, allow the nations to do things. And we see this in the Old Testament, of course, where kings are are, are set on their minds to destroy the people of Israel, like the Pharaoh, like different kings who want to come and destroy Israel. 
and, and, and so we still see that, uh, you know, with anti-Semitism where, where people still don't want to have anything to do with the chosen people of God. And, and, and now we also see persecution of Christians uh, as an extension of what is happening with this great red dragon having this power and influence and causing harm and destruction to the people of God. And, and so it goes on to the next verse. It says that, that he, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, this, again, you know, is some of the, the origin that people will hear this, that uh, when Satan fall, and then we're now the dragon in verse 9, it's going to tell us literally that this dragon is Satan, uh, the fallen angel kind of thing. And, and so this is where some people say, you know, when Satan fall, you know, he took a third of the angels with him. And, and, and so here's something that we kind of need to take a minute to pause on this, is that, that, that his origin story was in heaven. You know, God created angels as this precious being to serve and to really have power and influence in the world and in, the, in some of the, the urban legends i guess or some of the story tell about uh, satan is that his name is actually lucifer and uh, literally uh, it means to uh, the morning star and as an adjective it means that he's the light bearer or light bringer and, and so he was supposed to be like this really special creation of god and, but he fell, right? And he, out of pride, he wanted to be equal to God, or he, he has this idea or ambition about who he is. And, and then he falls, and then he brought down a third of the stars, or a third of the angels. And I, I love that kind of story, uh, but, but it might be true, it might not be true. But what I do want to say at this moment is this, is that we can take a minute to kind of reflect on the meaning behind the symbol, that, that this great creation, this dragon, this fallen angel intended for good, but somehow because of pride, because of sin has fallen and not only caused harm to himself, but caused destruction and harm to those around him as well. And I think that's the reality of sin that we face in our lives, that sometimes we might not recognize uh, sins in our life and, and the, the impact and the effect that it can have in our lives and the lives around us. And, and so I want you to take that piece of paper and that pen out again and, and, and just really say, you know, are there areas in your life, this, uh, this, I guess, right now that causes you, um, you know, to, to drift away uh, from God? What causes you to stumble? Like, what is your kryptonite? What is your weak point? What are what are some things that will cause you to to sin and, and to fall away from God? And write that down and, and just remind yourself to not only pray for yourself. I, I you know I hope you all have an accountability partner or prayer partner or mentor where you can share openly about this and say, hey, for this week, can you pray with me? Um, and just saying that I want to make sure that I am staying on path. Uh, of what God wants me to do and, and, and avoid the sinful situations and avoid, um, you know, uh, times where I'm weak. And, and so I can call or pray with someone. And, and so so I, I, when I look at this is that, you know, God has destined so many of us with great things. And, and But, you know, just one wrong move can cause great harm to our trajectory, our journey as a Christian. And it goes on, it says this, that in the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. And, and so that when, the, when she bore her child, he might devour it. 
Now, this is the really interesting part. Now, now this story is very similar to what the Christmas story is about. We're about to go into the Christmas part of it. And this is where I really get excited now because I didn't see this before, but, um, but I think right now this really resonates with me. Um, my perspective on Christmas is a little bit different than a lot of people. And I, I think I preached this sermon before is that Christmas really wasn't a happy time for Mary and Joseph. In fact, you know, you know, Mary was probably 11 to 13 years old and, and she was pregnant and she had a fiance and she had to explain that somehow she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit and all these things. And, and it's just a mess of things. Right. But here we're looking at the scripture. It's really telling us that the Christmas story is not a very soothing and calming and peaceful story. It is telling us that the dragon was waiting to devour, to destroy, to, to take care of Jesus in a sense, you know, in a bad way and, and waiting for destroying and, and just violence and all that stuff. And we know that is true, isn't it? That, that when we listen to the Christmas story, and I'm, I'm doing a, a Bible study with my small groups right now. We're studying Matthew 2, and, and we're reading about how King Harold, you know, uh, killed all the people, all the kids under two and under in Bethlehem, right? And, and that, that he, he killed them because he wanted to kill Jesus. It's kind of like the story here where this symbolic uh, was, the, the story is alluding to that the dragon was there to try to destroy, um, you know, the birth of Jesus, to prevent that from happening. Because he knows that this king will come and, and do something great and change the world. So he wants to stop it. And, and, and so sometimes... I think our church, we don't want to have that type of message because it's it's not very nice to hear about stories like that. You know, if we think about the hymns that we sing for Christmas time, like Silent Night, you know, like Always Come, Always Wow, you know, it's it's like we're thinking that Christmas time was very soothing and peaceful. Everyone's just singing and rejoicing and, and you know, away in the manger it talks about how baby Jesus was born in the manger, but he was such a good baby, uh, he didn't even cry. And, 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 but we know that is not true. I mean, if you're a mother this morning, you know that you'd be scared that if you have a baby boy that, you know, a baby girl that, that you know, you give birth to and and, and he or she is not crying, you're like, something is wrong, right? So so definitely crying was happening during the birth of Jesus. And definitely there were no peace and calm because again, you have to remember the birth of Jesus was in a manger, it was in this chaotic situation. Now I've been into the delivery room twice because, you know, delivery room twice because I have two girls and, and I, you know, I, I just want to be there. And I love, you know, some people can't be inside. I, I love to be a part of that experience. I think it's, it's amazing to see life uh, being born. But I have to tell you, if you're a single and haven't seen this before, where you've never been into a delivery room, it's messy, you know, like, it's not a pleasant sight. It's, it's uh, not in a sense, like, you know, I love my wife, I love my baby. But it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, like that their nurse are running around, and they could be complications, their blood and their fluids and whatever it is. Uh, I don't want to go into detail and scare you from not having kids. But the reality is this, is that it's not supposed to be this clean cut place. And, and even with our technology today, birth giving is just like uh, giving birth is really, really, uh, you know, just kind of messy and chaotic, you know, uh, imagine 2000 years ago. And, and so I want to kind of allude back to this is that so much was happening behind the scene and in front of the scene that the birth story of Jesus really is an amazing story of God's 
ability to get things done. Because we're going to read this, that he wants to devour the child. And, and we know that didn't happen, right? It goes on. It says that she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with rod of iron. You know, so, so, so the birth happened, right? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And we're told here that God somehow protected the child. And this is the same thing with the birth of Jesus. You know, God's will will not be, uh, you know, deterred because of what's happening around the world, the chaos that we're experiencing. It doesn't stop God's will from happening. God's promise, God's plan is not dependent on the situation that we see. Uh, in front of the screen, behind the screen, God is sovereign. And so, so the birth of Jesus will happen regardless of who is trying to stop it. And I, I love that because it's reminding us that God is in control. Now, you might feel with this new SIP, with all the things happening in the world, and, and people are predicting uh, the market's going to drop, and people are going to lose their jobs, and more people will die, and all these things are happening. You might ask the question, you know, you might even know someone who lost a job or who is sick of COVID, and you say, why is this happening? You know, how is God sovereign in this? And the reality is this, that God is still sovereign, because the Christmas story tells us this. Among the chaos of physical birth and among the chaos of a spiritual warfare behind the scene, God's will be done. You know, it, it doesn't change. And I want to offer you hope this morning in saying that, that the Christmas story, the very fact that Jesus was born in a manger without Medicare, without doctors and nurses and clean water, whatever it is, you know, in the manger, okay, he was born. Were people trying to kill him? King Harold sent people just saying, hey, wise man, tell me where he is. I want to worship him with deception, wanting to kill Jesus. Somehow with Satan plotting against this birth and wanting to devour and destroy the plan of God, baby Jesus was born to the world and changed the world because of his birth. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. And this Christmas, may that be a reminder to you and I that among the chaos that we're going through right now, God is still a good God. And God is still in control. And But the Bible doesn't end there. It goes on to tell us um, that there's a, a further story for us to go into it. And that, that when she gives birth, um, that we are able to see um, that she was sent to the wilderness and uh, uh, sorry, my 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 uh, PowerPoint just got uh, uh, turned off, and and so I have to kind of reconnect. Um, oh, there it is. Thank you. Uh, our AV staff is obviously uh, paying attention uh, to what I'm trying to say. And so this is that. And the woman fled into the wilderness, uh, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days, which is about three and a half years. Now, this is a crazy thing again, is that, that we know the story of Jesus. After he was born, we know King Harold uh, threatened to kill Jesus and the babies. Uh, and, and we know King Harold was a crazy king. Like he killed his own brothers because uh, you know they, he thought that they might want a place uh, for his kingdom kind of thing, his role as a king. And then he killed his own son, you know, to, to really just say that, that in case any of you have wrong ideas about my place uh, as a king, then I'm going to take this preemptive strike and kill you all kind of thing. In fact, we hear stories about uh, King Harold uh, where, you know, he uh, he knew he was about to die. This is like a legend, I guess, uh, that he called and, and, and brought in all the Jewish leaders and then put him under his palace and then kind of 
put them in prison. And he says, ah, the minute I die kind of thing, kill all the Jewish leaders. Because he knew that the Jewish people didn't like him as a king and they will celebrate his death. And he says, I don't want them to celebrate. I want them to have something to cry about and not celebrate. This is like a crazy king, right? He was going to kill this baby Jesus and he's going to get it done. And, uh, and so he did, you know, send a decree to Bethlehem. And, and so some people question this and say, did this really happen? You know, because they didn't find it in any historical record. Um, but you have to remember, Bethlehem was a small city. And, and King Harold, with his erratic behaviors, killing people, um, you know, we some people estimate there were probably about a dozen or two dozen kids under the age of two uh, during that time. So it wasn't uh, a, a big enough national story to be recorded, but definitely was devastating nonetheless. And people were crying for the loss of their child. But the, the, what I'm trying to say is this, that, that, you know, he was trying to destroy that. He thought that they had nowhere to go, right? But God had a different idea. And again, with this, this chaos, destruction, and this warfare happening, you know, uh, God had a plan. And, and I want to recall the Christmas story where we know that the Christmas story, there were two groups of people that came to Jesus' side. Uh, one was the shepherd boy. Uh, you know, they, they, the angels spoke to them and sang and say, you know, the Savior is born in, in Bethlehem. And they went and they worship. And then the other group of people is the wise men who travel uh, up to maybe two years from the east to come and worship this king. So there are two groups of people. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with us? You know, how do we apply this in our lives? And, and, and let me help you a little bit. The shepherd boy, you know, they, they tent sheep, you know, they were the lower class people. People don't pay attention to them. They are looked down upon. And, and so people don't really mind them and they don't care for them. And, uh, but God cared. And, and God wanted them to be the first witness to this birth of Jesus because our faith, our salvation is not limited to the rich and the powerful, but really to all people, especially the brokenhearted and those who are poor and who are, you know, uh, stumbling and sinning and, and just broken and lost and everything. And so, so this is a really hopeful message to you and I, you know, if you feel that you are unworthy this Christmas, if you feel like you are nobody and no one cares about what you're going through, the Christmas story tells us that through the experience of shepherds, that God cares about the, the smallest marginalized people in the society, that he cares about you, he cares about me, he has not forgotten you and me in our distress, in our struggles, in our confusion, and that he is still God, that is a good God that cares for you and I. But on the other hand, we want to talk a little bit about the wise man. And this is relating to this verse six, that they were fleeing, right? Because of the persecution and this incoming doom. So they, they fled into the wilderness where she stayed and was a place where God prepared and she was to be nourished. And the Christmas story tells us that the wise men came and they brought good things. And and, uh, and again, to, to clarify, there's no... Uh, Definite way to say there were three wise men. Uh, you know, we know it's more than two because it's plural, but uh, because of the presence that we see, we uh, tend to say that there were three wise men because three presents were described in the Bible. But they could be more. It could be a caravan of wise men. It could be a lot of people. It could be two. Um, but they brought gold and they brought, they brought myrrh and frankincense. And, and so so really just there's a lot of precious gifts that they brought to baby Jesus. And that's the preparation of God. You know, and God told Joseph, like, go to Egypt, right? And, and so, so you have to kind of remember with me that Joseph was a carpenter. He was poor. You know, he probably didn't have a lot of money. And, and so, 
that the gifts from the wise men actually prepare for them to run away, you know, so they have this getaway money kind of thing. And that's, again, the sovereignty of God, you know, that while you and I might not be thinking, you know, God's been playing this. Like two years ago, they saw the star and they came to find Jesus just at the right time, you know. And, and so that's the amazing thing is that, that you and I, again, might not see that God is at work right now, but he is. But I want to speak for those uh, to those who have abundance this morning. You might represent the wise men where God has given you time and, and resources of like money or uh, intelligence or whatever it is, connections. And, and, and how are you using that resource that God's given you? The wise men brought gifts to God so that, that God's people and God's plan can continue. And, and I think God wants us to partner in that as well. And, and so we're going to do like a third thing where take that piece of paper out again and that pen and saying, write down, uh, we did this last time too, the, uh, someone that God has placed in your heart to say that I can bless this person. I want to bless this person and I have the resource to bless this person in the coming week. Do something, you know, maybe a phone call, you know, maybe uh, a food delivery or grocery delivery, you know, or a text message or a Zoom meeting, uh, you know, whatever it is, just say, hey, I want to reach out to you because God has given me this burden to love you, to help you experience the love of God, to help you understand that you are not alone, that God has prepared and he cares for your need. And it might be, um, you know, someone who's struggling with uh, depression or financial needs, whatever it is, God knows and you know, and, and just really just pray for this person too and provide for an actual thing to, to just kind of show them an actual gesture because we want to be doers of the word and not just to hear of the word. And this is why I think this Christmas story is really interesting. As I prepare this message and I just say, man, this is, you know, I'm thankful that, that I, I'm able to pray and submit to the guidance of our supreme leader, Pastor Dean kind of thing. And just saying that, hey, you know, uh, this is a great story now. And I, I love that sometimes we need to go through that journey, you know, where we have to trust in God uh, and doing things that we might not feel like, it's the right thing we're comfortable doing, and, and we have to com, com, continue to really pray and trust. Um, and today is uh, Communion Sunday, and and uh, I, I love communion because it's always a time to remember what God has done for us. But with in, in light of the story this morning, um, we want to kind of think of communion in a different light. And so let's let's take a minute to get your communion elements out. Uh, if you don't have them, we do have them. Uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday that you can pick up for the next time. Um, but if you have them at home, let's get that ready. Um, and, and if you don't have this prepackaged one, uh, you can feel free to get um, bread and, uh, you know, grape juice or a grape wine if you're an adult. Um, but communion is a special time for us to remember, again, the power of God. You know, in, in, in our limited wisdom, you know, in our limited resource and among chaos, you know, again, that's the scene of the cross where people were trying to kill Jesus, crucify him, crucify him kind of thing. Um, you know, that was the plan of uh, Satan. You know, he wanted to devour and kill Jesus, um, you know, and, and, but as he went on the cross to die for your sin and my sin, it's actually a display of God's wisdom again. Because the ultimate thing that Jesus had to conquer was death. And, and, and Satan was the one because he didn't know what was happening. He is not as wise as God. He did not know the plan of God. He thought he did a great thing. You know, he's putting Jesus on the cross. He's going to die now. 
But little did he know that the cross was necessary. See, it wasn't just the disciples weren't listening. You know, when Jesus said that I had to die, Satan wasn't listening too. And then he went on a cross and he died for your sin. He died for my sin. And in death, he conquered death, right? He, you know, in three days, he resurrected, giving us this new hope, a new life that no matter what happens, the worst thing that can happen to anyone in this world is death kind of thing. But Jesus has conquered that. That gives us hope. So when we take the communion this Sunday, may we think, it, think of it as this victorious moment in our spiritual walk, that if God can use such a tragedy, the cross itself, to bring triumph, to bring salvation, to bring an eternal change to the world, God is definitely in control. And we have nothing to be afraid of. So we can take it with a thanksgiving heart that no matter what's going on in your life, in my life, that God is a good God. That all things will work out good for those who love him. So let's take a minute to pray for the communion. Father God, I want to thank you for reminding us of the power the wisdom of the cross. The while people might see the cross as this punishment, kind of a sign of victory. So I pray this morning that as we partake in the communion element, we are to remember the sacrifices that you have made, but also to remember that you're God in all the chaos, amid all the doubts, all the persecution, all the confusion, you're still God. Help us to trust in you. Help us to give thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's um, take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, broken for us and suffer for us so that we don't have to suffer. And we will partake it together and with a thanksgiving heart. We'll say, thank you, Jesus. And we take it. Thank you, Jesus. And of course, the cup which represents the blood of Jesus, the new covenant, giving us hope and a new life in Christ. Because we don't, if we don't have the shedding of the blood, our sins will not be cleansed. And so we take this as a sign of this new life that God has given us, that we are able to be victorious among all things in all situations. And we take it with thanksgiving and we say, thank you, Jesus. And we take it. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray again. Father God, we thank you again for being victorious in all aspects of this world, you know, in our lives, in sin, in everything. And, and I just pray that we as um, God's people will continue to live out this victorious life where we can proclaim victory even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't understand it, that we will trust that you are sovereign and you're in control. We thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for letting us see that there's so much going on beyond what we see, that you are still working, that you do not slumber, and you watch over us. We thank you and put this in Jesus' name. Amen.